boys and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we have the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt, around for Chinese food and pull funny pranks. I'm Mary Johnston, and this creature of the night with me is my brother, Thomas Johnston. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing just great, Mary. I'm uh, I'm wearing my paramilitary gear, and I'm ready to lost boys it up. Are you are you the lost third frog brother? I thought, yeah, I'm actually both frog brothers in one perfect specimen. Oh my gosh, that does sound, I feel like now. Double frog, frog squared. I feel like now like cosplay, either you have to have like a flawless costume or you have to be something that absolutely has to be explained. It's sort of like the opposite of Halloween, where (laughs) the people who wear the simplest costumes get the most praise. and, Mm -hmm. uh, And if you have to explain your costume at all, people are already not listening to you. As you can imagine, this is our uh, Halloween special episode. We're doing The Lost Boys. Not that it has any relation necessarily to Tales from the Crypt, but it is one of our favorite horror movies and has been for a very, very long time. I I would venture to say um, this is at least this is like the first horror movie that we watched together that I remember like watching together as like, this is a horror movie. We're watching a horror movie. It's a scary movie. This isn't for kids, you guys kind of thing. Yeah, not, not for babies. Right, not for babies. Should we get started? Yeah. All right. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you are down. When you're strange. Faces come out of the rain. Uh, uh, When you're strange. No one remembers your name when, when you're, you're strange, strange. When you're, when you're strange. strange. I'll be honest with you. We should have sung that whole song. That was tight. Yeah, it's great. We should have just do that. Podcast over. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> over. Sorry, I think we've said Episode all over. Yeah. I think we've said. No, this is the last episode Peaked. we will ever yep. do. Uh, we, 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 I think, sort of soft sold this. I think this is. A very important movie for us. Uh, like just trying to we watched cool. it as kids. We've watched it as adults together, and held it's up. just it's just great. Yeah. Spoiler. It's held a, up. It's a uh, it's like chicken soup for a spooky soul. Just keeps keeps nourishing and keep just keeps giving and making you feel good. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of really amazing people uh, behind this project. Would you like to tell us about some of them? Yes. And I, I, I'm going to try to be kind of brief. It feels weird to be like, Corey Haim is in this movie. <laughs> I will now explain to you who he is. You know, or like. Right, right, right. There are some people that. Kiefer yeah. Sutherland. So I, I'm trying to kind of highlight maybe people who are a little bit less well known. But, mm-hmm. but okay. So The Lost Boys, directed by Joel Schumacher, he of St. Elmo's Fire. Batman oh, Forever. Another Batman song that another Robin. movie that has a kick ass theme song. Yes. Flatliners, if you remember that one. Oh. Did you ever see that one? With, of course. Uh, okay. Yep. He did Phantom of the Opera. Supposedly, um, his work on the soundtrack for this film, The Lost Boys, um, inspired Andrew Lloyd Webber to want to work with him because it seemed like he was like good with music. <laughs> Which, like, who knows if that's true or not. Um, Joel Schumacher also has claimed to have over 20,000 different sexual partners in his life. 20,000? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's wow. A, that's a respectable number. I don't know. I don't know how many Wilt Chamberlain was supposed to have had, but that that's pretty good. Um, Joel Schumacher was not the first person attached to direct this movie. 
Originally, this was supposed to be directed by Richard Donner, who you may recall is a TFTC all-star. He did Dig That Cat, mm. The Ventriloquist's Dummy, and a upcoming episode, uh, Showdown. Unzipped his guts. Exactly. After, <laughs> after he uh, kind of drifted away from it, Mary Lambert was attached. She of Collection Complete. Um, and then it became uh, Mr. Schumacher's. So that's uh, sort of sort of fascinating, like internal TFTC sort of uh, 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 familial um, connections there. Um, this movie also uh, underwent a fair degree of changes. Originally, it was supposed to be about uh, little bo- little boys fighting little boy vampires. And uh, it was supposed to kind of be like Goonies with vampires. Um, and, uh, Joel Schumacher was like, I don't want to do none of that. I want to do like sexy teenage vampires. And, um, so he like, do you know who I am? Right. Joel do you know what my deal is? Schumacher. Right. My name is synonymous with sexy. We can't have little 20, boys be sexy. 20,000 sexual. Partners. Yeah. No. You are gross, sir. I, I have had enough. Yeah. So the, so the original script, the one with the children, um, was written by, uh, our little children was written by Jan Fisher. And, um, who has done some work on some Golden Girls episodes and things like that, but uh-huh. done some TV writing. And then James Jeremiah's, who, again, is one of these people where this is the only writing credit that he had. Um, then Jeffrey Bohm, who's um, who's kind of a like um, who has done a lot of stuff and is kind of a uh, studio uh, screenwriter and does a lot of punch up and stuff. Um, he did all he did Lethal Weapon one through three. He did a um, uh, Tales from Crypt episode that we haven't done yet called Creep Course. He wrote for Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. New boot goofing. Little, little Bruce, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> um, he also wrote The Phantom um, <gasps> with, with, with friend, of the, friend of the pod, Billy Zane, which, you know, if we ever do like super a- Super smooth. A, he's super yeah, smooth it, in that movie, too. He's got like perfect, a little bullet he's head. He's a perfectly smooth, hairless boy. Yeah. Um, if we ever do it like an April Fool's episode, maybe we should do the Phantom. <laughs> That's a great idea. And then um, he With also pleasure, I would he, watch the Phantom. He also did some screenwriting for The Last Crusade and Witches of Eastwick. So this guy, I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, I, the Witches of Eastwick is an insane movie. If you haven't watched that recently, you yeah. should revisit it. I, I have not revisited it recently. Um, do you remember that it ends with Jack Nicholson with a like a weird tiny little head? It's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember it being like a bunch about a bunch about like a bunch of '80s ladies and the devil. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's that. Yep, yep, nailed it. So, um, so the cast of this movie, um, uh, heading it off, we have Jason Patrick, um, as Michael, um, Patrick. This with is no K. That's right. Don't get that. He was in. He, he's he's one of these guys who I'm kind of surprised has not done ma- more kind of leading roles though. Uh, he apparently has gone on record talking about how he wants to be in interesting projects, not necessarily leading, you know, whatever. But he was in Sleepers, Losers. Um, he was in Solar Babies before this, um, which I think Joel Schumacher was also attached to. The post-apocalyptic roller skating movie, uh, which uh, is definitely an enjoyable hit. Solar Babies? Yes. Mm. And then he was also in a movie that maybe only I have ever, maybe the only person who's ever seen it. I am the only, no. Um, hipsterism ultimately he was in the beast or the beast of war which is a which is an awesome movie about um soviet tankers in uh in afghanistan uh during their uh sort of failed invasion um it, it's a really good movie um there's a lesser baldwin in that too 
Um, but it's one of these, you know, they're in their tank, they're cut off from everything else and like tensions flare and like, you know, who lives, who dies kind of thing. Um, he is also Jackie Gleason's grandson. Um, he owns a 90 pound pot bellied pig named Fergus and he is reportedly best friends with Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> oh. um, his younger brother, Sam, is portrayed by Corey Haim. Um, he of the two Corys. Um, this movie is uh, is what made Corey Feldman and Corey Haim sort of form this friendship slash showbiz partnership. Um, it formed the Corys. Yes, right. Um, I, I would. This, this is easily the best two Corys movie too. Um, <laughs> There's not like a ton of competition to be fair. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, but, it's not. But when yes. you see this movie, you're like, oh, I bet the rest of the Corys movies are going to be great. They're it's gonna like, rip, and you're like, no, they don't. No, they're <laughs> Actually, not. That, they're quite, pretty bad. Quite, quite bad. Um, uh, also in this, um, playing Lucy the mother, we have Diane Weist who um, uh, was in The Birdcage. She won a uh, Best Supporting Actress for Han- uh, Oscar for Hannah and Her Sisters, which she would have won sort of like the, the probably the year this movie came out. Um, she also will win an Oscar later in 94 for Bullets Over Broadway. Um, she collab- she's been in a fair number of Woody Allen movies, also in Purple Rose of Cairo. She was in Edward Scissorhands. She's in that Parenthood. That makes me worried for you, Miss Wiest. Nah, she's great. She great. is great. She is great. Um, wait, what was the first thing you said that she was in? Oh, oh the, bird the, the bird cage. Yes. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. yeah, she's great. She's great. The the remake, not the. She's not. She's not. A, she's not a old old timey French actress. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let me see. Um. We have uh, Ed Herman as Max. Um. Of course. Um. I, I, like, if you watch anything on the Disney Channel, you're going to see some Ed Herman. Um, also, uh, Grandpa Gilmore, um, Kiefer Sutherland. R.I.P. Rest in power. That's right. Yeah. Ed Herman. Yes. Um, Kiefer Sutherland is David. Um, again, I, it's the weird thing where you want to be like, do I have to explain to you who Kiefer Sutherland is? Athos, Jack Bauer himself. Um, uh, and, um, Jamie Gertz is star. She, um, doesn't have tons of acting credits. She was in Twister. She was in a movie called Still Standing. But her IMDb points out that she is one of the wealthiest women in the United States. Um, How so? She's worth about a billion and a half dollars. Her husband is a major is a major investment partner, and she is a co-owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> That's so crazy, actually. So, and then we're gonna get to Corey Feldman, right? So, mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland famously loves Milwaukee, where I live. And talked mm-hmm. about it a lot. He came um, for some sort of. He's in some uh, like a like a post divorce dad, like a divorced dad, or uh, white man rock group, right? That yeah, played Summerfest, yeah. and he was like, "I'm just gonna come for a couple weeks and just like play various venues, like just kind of like went and played bars and stuff." And it was really wild. <laughs> she owns the Milwaukee Brewers. That's insane. And then Corey Feldman, not to not to burn, take your uh, take your fire. When uh, Corey Feldman was had his own uh, band, which I believe was called Corey and the Feldmans, where he mm-hmm. just performed with backup dancers dressed as angels while on stage at the Miramar Theater, which is literally five minutes from my house on stage. His tooth fell out and then he spent 45 minutes of the show looking for it. <laughs> Poor Corey Feldman. <laughs> he has had a rough life, but I think the crowd was quite supportive. Yeah. So Corey Feldman, again, uh, Corey Feldman, who we will talk about eventually in uh, Bordello of Blood. Um, he is. I, oh, I think yeah. It's pre- pretty safe to say, like, 
if he's not the best part of the movie, he's definitely not what makes the movie not work. He's he puts in a workmanlike job there. Um, it's the again, best performance of his career. Now, uh, now human. Uh, I mean, I think this this is. Don't you think this this movie is probably the best? This performance is. That's of what I'm time? saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was talking about Bordello of Blood, and I was gonna be like, oh, did we watch? The- I was like, what on earth are you talking about? Every part of this movie punishes, including Corey Feldman. There yeah, is no Corey one. Feldman. There is no yeah, one Ed- who's slouching here. Here's the real thing. Does it? Ed- Nothing Edgar Frog says is not hilarious. Um, it's pretty. Uh, anyway, book. Corey Feldman, who has sort of um, been very outspoken, talking about his own problems with substance abuse and sexual molestation, and uh, how messed up Hollywood go- is. He needs yeah. to connect with Elijah Wood and like turn that frown and, and, into and, and, and social justice, like, and like lots and lots of therapy. Probably, I mean, not not in like a you need therapy, man. Like he is clearly a hurt and broken person yeah yeah, yeah. very terrible things have happened to him yes yeah right um then J- so alan frog um is played by jameson newlander um who has did not have the same career that Corey feldman had he was in the blob um again not the original the 80s remake one and he was also in that's bone not a bad movie by the he way. was also in bone tomahawk which also is not a bad movie um if you have, is have you seen that native, is he a piece. native person no 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 he he's the i think he's the mayor of the town Oh, older. I mean, he's, yeah, he's like quite a bit. De- you know, yeah. I, I, yes. No. Okay. He's, okay. Yeah. So anyway, and he also he's I think he's done some stage and he like made it, he produced he like produced and directed and wrote his own movie and stuff. So he, he's doing fine. Um. Then um, Alex Winter is Marco. This is Mr. Bill S. Preston Esquire himself. God bless. I, I, I vividly remember in a, in the past when we watched this movie. Like being like, is that is that Bill from Bill and Ted? And then like having to go look it up and being like, yes, it is. Super yes, funny. it is. And you had to like do it using the encyclopedia or something because it was the past. Yeah, right. Um, it was old, it's in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to like find a, an old fan magazine and, and sort it out. Um, he is, I think, the scariest vampire in this. He also like talks the most. The other guys, um, the other guys basically kind of act like they're like roadies Paul from White Snake or something. Yes, Dwayne, who's never actually named in the in the movie. Like we, we, you learn his name from the credits. Is which one has dark hair and which one's a blonde? Ooh, um, I th- isn't Dwayne the dark haired one? Maybe he is the most attractive vampire in this. <laughs> More attractive than Kiefer Sutherland with with yes. with uh, blonde spiky hair. More attractive than Michael. Yes. Michael is quite handsome. He has a he lot is, of everyone uh, is very attractive, and I'm just paying. I'm just paying <laughs> Billy Rice a huge compliment. <laughs> I, I just kind of think that like that that in this movie, um, Jason Patrick has has a lot of like like kind of Stamos energy. Yeah, he oh, just smolders. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got. I kind of think actually, um, I would say he's more Rob Lowian. He's a yeah, little bit more dangerous. Lo- yeah. He's more dangerous. I, I would feeling. say, but, but let's just agree though that like that like John Stamos is just sort of like 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 Rob Lowe, but on but for like you know basic cable or something. No, right, like he's like the poor man's the poor man's Rafflo. It's sort of like <laughs> like right like uh like uh Stamos is like uh NBC. Mm-hmm. Rob Lowe is FX and uh Jason Patrick is HBO. <laughs> like they just get progressively more edgy and dangerous feeling. <laughs> just imagine it. Sort of like Rob Lowe is like whatever channel Always Sunny in Philadelphia is on nowadays. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, yeah. 
just two more people two people to kind of wrap wrap up with um chance michael corbett is laddie the little boy who i think kind of looks like a little civil war drummer boy with his weird buttoned jacket he always looks like he's ready to participate in a christmas pageant for sure yes he is a he is a or he was he was a child actor um he was in kids incorporated which was if not the show itself at least singing the theme song was part of my childhood and he was also in the rocketeer <gasps> the rock who the rocketeer he's just like some he's he's credited as like you know newsboy or something so you know who knows he's probably on screen for yeah you know, he probably like tugs at someone's like thanks a lot sleeve. mister yeah four and bits so, yeah yep, and calls yep. somebody <laughs> mister a whole bunch yeah yep and then of course who can forget the sexy sax man himself tim capello he is a composer He's a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, he is. He has toured with Tina Turner. Um, he's that this movie made him sort of like cult, like he was he was doing fine. He was a saxophone player and multi, you know, he was he was fine. He was a musician. He had success in his life. This his role as the sax player, the sax Viking, the sexy sax man has made him immortal in sort of a camp, greasy, sweaty, muscular kind of way. Um, and uh, I think he still kind of dines out on this movie. And by that, I mean, like, people know who he is because of this. But yeah. he's, a, he, a, a, again, another one of these people who is talented in realms that are outside the uh, scope of uh, TFTC. But kind of cool. I mean, in a movie that's only full of memorable scenes, the fact that you remember the guy who's, like, providing background music at a beach party <laughs> is pretty extreme. <laughs> it and, is but- weird. It is weird that all of these, like... These like, I don't know, these, these young people who all are like somewhere between like a like a bad guy and double dragon and like a crust punk and maybe, you know, people like extras from the second cr- The Crow movie. The um, second are, are The in, Crow movie. Ooh. Yeah. City of Angels. The one with all the, the one, the L.A. one, the one with all the yellow light and everything. How dare, uh, how dare they make a second one after what did, happened on the first one? Did you, did you not watch the second? Have you not seen I've the second I've seen Crow the movie? second one. Of course I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but just to say, like, I like that they are entranced by his, like, sax, sax playing. I mean, I don't know. You know, I here's what I think that is going on there. You know how now if you go to, like, a festival, like a street festival or, like, Pride or something, how, like, regardless, or, like, the state fair, any of those kinds of things, regardless, <laughs> and, and all you want to do is sit down for a little bit, like, you just, like, got yourself, yeah, like... Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like, yes, a and they're like, or something. These, are, these, just, are, these are trained acrobatic hogs, and you're like, yeah, I'll watch that if I can yeah, sit yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, like, is sit... It, is, is this seat you, not directly in the sun? I will sit here. Yeah, yeah, there's, like, a shaded spot, and, this, and there's, like, a seat, and so you take it, and, like, you're always in front of a stage that... That has like somebody very energetically and with great charisma playing music that you just don't care about. And regardless of time or day or temperature or weather situation in general, there are like four moms that are dancing to it. Mm-hmm. I think that all of those moms are in that scene, but they're just young. Like those yeah. people were incubated in that moment where they were just oh, like, I see. is there entertainment happening? I'm into it. Let's As you recall, Lucy, Lucy is also it. there, and she is into it too. She likes the sax man. Honestly, she's not dancing or anything, but she's like she's like doing her like her like kind of half smile, where her like mouth is kind of mostly just a straight line. Yeah, yeah, she's doing her mom bop. I yeah, yeah she's not doing she's not doing mom festival dancing, which usually no. involves like which usually involves the ki- her kind of drunk we assume husband spinning her a lot. 
Um, <laughs> Actually, if Lucy was doing that, though, right, she's we, we, we canonically it is established. She is happily divorced. It's the best decision she ever made. Instead, she'd be like, come on, Sam, come dance with me. Come on and dance. And he would. All right. So I will tell you the like, give you a synopsis because like we we cannot be, we we need to be unbridled from format to talk about this film. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just get let's just get all this crap out of the way so we can talk about how much we love this movie for about 45 minutes. Yep. Uh, Lucy Emerson is a happy divorcee and she and her two sons, Michael and Sam, move to Santa Carla to start over. All three of them start making new friends. Lucy gets a job and begins dating her sweet boss. Sam's hanging out with two paramilitary boys. And Michael is rolling with the coolest gang of glam rock orphans ever. Then one night, David, the head glam rock orphan, offers Michael a drink of spooky wine from the jeweled pirate bottle and turns him into a half vampire. Michael and Sam must now battle this vampire gang or risk losing their family to another bloodline. I like I like you almost did the thing, you know, it's like an Internet thing where you do the like misleading plot summaries and where it could be like, you know, boy born on a desert planet hooks up with some terrorists and kills his father. And it's like that Star Wars, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, um, you mean misleading summaries? Yeah, like misleading. Technically factual, but misleading summaries. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I feel like the coolest gag. Because I mean, because like, I think this movie does a great job um, establishing right away this kind of weird. There's like, like, like um, coiled menace. You know, the um, one of the first shots we see is um, just just uh, like like a public billboard just covered in missing child reports. Mm-hmm. And you see all and you see all the kids on the boardwalk and they're playing the Echo and the Bunny Man cover of the, the Doors song. And I don't know, it's just like you're just like, oh, yeah, it's rough. Like, you know, kill or be killed. Hunt. There are hunters out there, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and I think that I don't know. I just think that, that this movie does a great job. Um with 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 mood and place and speaks to i think what uh to to what is i think uh the experience of the american teenager i agree i think that this film is too cool to have like a pat moral that i can um explain yeah. i mean so, yeah okay. i mean it do- I mean, it does like it's basically like stick stick with your family like th- there yeah. are things there but i <laughs> no, when- no, 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 misleading misleading moral Keep your bloodline pure, by which we mean like, 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 no, don't do blood mixing, by which we mean like, don't mix your blood with a vampire's blood. Don't drink another vampire's blood. You'll become a vampire. (laughs) Um, Weird fascist movie summaries. So I've loved this movie for a long time. I have not really, to be true, like a lot of things from your youth examined why I liked this movie. Like it wasn't like one of those things where I watched it and I was like, holy Moses, this movie stinks. Now as an adult, quite the (laughs) opposite. I always knew that it punished. It continued to punish. I knew it held up. I had not really like considered really what this movie was actually about until we had to do it for the podcast. And I have arrived at some like staggering realizations about this movie that only make me love it more. (laughs) 
Yeah, Mary, I just imagine you're like watching it in your house. You're just like, great Scott. Start I basically we- was. I was start like weeping. I was like furiously taking notes. And because I'm of a modern age, I was taking them on a computer as opposed to a yellow, yellow legal pad. Not, not, with, not, not been, with a quill and ink. <laughs> what you wear like an old timey uh, Bob Cratchity uh, night's night hat. You fall to your knees, like call for more, more coal and candles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so w- one of the themes that we uh, agreed that we wanted to talk about is um, about how this movie is about family, which I think is always kind of fun because it's a family movie for you and me as well. Right, right. And we're family. And we're family. So it like it's like has like a nice um, a nice uh, symmetry there. Mm-hmm. But um, I read this article that talked a lot about how this was a really unusual movie to come out um, during uh, the Reagan years. Right. So uh-huh. a lot of a lot of movies at this time were returning to pretty traditional values of like, I mean, like John Hughesian kind of things, right? I so, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so all like, about like suburban so maybe, Chicago. Right. So it was all like, why kind of like, can't the dad be right? Dads are usually right. Yeah. Like kind of like affluent, uh, you know, traditional husband and wife. And then there are like two to three kids or in the case of Home Alone, like God knows how many children. And just like extra, extra religious, probably, you know, I've never really considered if that would be the case, but that's an interesting take on Home Alone. Um, (laughs) Maybe I'll understand more when I watch the Netflix, the family, maybe I'll be like, oh, they're of the family, the family. Yeah. (laughs) Why are the McAllisters going to Paris in Home Alone? Is Home Alone 2 right where they go to Paris? Yeah, they're yeah. Yeah, w- yeah. What exactly? What exactly does uh, Kevin McAllister's uncle do such that he can fly, you know, a dozen odd people over to Paris first class? Insane. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, I mean, you, you, anybody who wants to listen to my crossover um, appearance on um, Categorical Oracle knows that I just think all those people are in the flight log, the Epstein flight log. So. Or maybe he has the flight log. I don't know. This is yeah. not a Home Alone podcast. He is the flight logger. Who logs the flights? Yeah, who logs the flights? Kevin McAllister. No, but I, I, I'm starting to pick up what you're what you're stepping in here. That this 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 is about the the families we are shown here are relatively non traditional, even by modern standards. Right. So what's kind of cool about this this movie, and I and and it's presented in such an easy breezy like these are just the facts, man. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of way that I don't even think that you you like they don't hit you over the head. They're not like this is modern, this is woke, but it's it's really cool that like that like Lucy like, Lucy is happily divorced and she and her sons are moving and they're like kind of bummed about it because they're gonna like miss living in um apparently uh Arizona, which is weird, mm-hmm. yeah. but <laughs> they're um. But there's no like there's no sort of like resentment there about their mother being divorced. There's no everyone's pretty cool with it. Right. right. And, and even and even the the insane old grandpa um, is like, was the best thing he ever did. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And she's and, like, and she's a she's like a hip, kicky, short haired, short haired mom. Um, our, our mother was not divorced, but I definitely when I saw this. Then and now I'm like, yeah, she's like mom. It's great. <laughs> I yeah. love this movie. She's like my mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I mean, right. The, the whole scene where she's talking to Michael after he's coming home late, he's like turning into a vampire. We, the viewer, know that she, of course, does not. And she has that thing where she's like, 
she's upset and she's worried about him, but she kind of comes in and says, you know, why don't we talk anymore? We used to be friends. Let's act like friends and let's talk. Like that's like a, Mm -hmm. that's, that's very cool and even feels modern from this perspective. Um, I think, you know, that there is some sort of, so obviously these people don't have very much money, right? They may, Mm -hmm. they talk briefly about Mm -hmm. the fact she did not. Yeah. She didn't better her station by getting divorced. Right. Which is also a thing, right? The idea of like a divorced woman, like just taking her husband to the cleaners. That was kind of, that was kind of an idea now, but not in a haha way, like sort of like a, my bitch ex-wife. No, no. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, like, like a welfare queen, like all these women scamming, get, getting that white man's dollar. But it kind of throws that in the face because, like, they're broke. Like, they're broke enough so that Michael probably has to get a job to, like, pay for his family to live, you know? And they're moving in with her dad. Like, these are things that I think normally um, we see as indications that your family structure is becoming becoming broken and bad and that you're, like, instability. And in this, it's just kind of like, no, I mean, like, this is what people have to go through sometimes and it's okay. Like our family well, structure and, is and, staying and think, together. And, and yeah. And in some sense, I think spe- and it's not, I don't think it's even shown as but like the thought that this is even a problem really isn't, isn't part of it at all either. Like this is no, this is like strong family. Like, of course, you know, like, no, grandpa loves them. That's why he, they could go and live with him. What else would you do? Who else are you going to live with? Who else is going to save you in the final scene from the head vampire? Yeah. Um, there's like a there's a lot of so there's a lot of cool stuff going on there and and it kind of sets you up in this way where when the brothers have to team up and basically save Michael and the entire family from these vampires it kind of just flows naturally cuz you're like yeah i mean nothing this family is stable like they have a good structure they all care a lot about each other they're not they're not mm-hmm. dysfunctional in any way even yeah. though it's set up in this fairly at that time non-traditional and i would even say now uh yeah a structure that people would be like oh okay wow seems or, like or you're at least, or hard at least, times yeah. it, it 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 gives you a situation that you think will be larded i mean even the um and we can talk about this later but even the sort of the dynamic between um sam and michael is not it's a very particular flavor of older sibling older sibling younger sibling but it's not like exactly uh one that you one is uh frequently uh stereotyped in film uh you know it's not like oh yeah i mean it is a little bit like the horny older brother and the wise ass younger brother but it's 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 more complicated and real than that it's not that's not really like that um and and so I, i think it sort of sets you up with what seems like it could be kind of a stock situation then is like no like these are like real people (laughs) um it's not you know we're not we're not playing to the cheap seats here. Yeah. And it's even like better than real. It's it's like what you would want your family. Yeah. To be oh, like. sure. Yeah. Kind even of though they're in a situation that I think normally you would see and you would not envy. Yeah. But no, I think and I think there's and there are and there are other families in this too. the the vampires constitute a family. Um, but like their family also is kind of like a teen runaway or like, you know, crust punk kind of, you know, right. Like people who would who at this time were being kicked out of their homes and, and sort of oh, fi- find it. Yeah. yeah. They, 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 they even, even before the reveal that like, you know, Max is the dad is the dad vampire um, that they seem to, ha- they seem to kind of have a little familial unit. I think that's why Laddie is there to kind of remind like, you know, there's also like a little boy kind of attached to this group too, which makes it feel more family-like, I guess, instead of just being like, 
Yeah, it's a bunch, genuinely... a bunch of peers. Well, and it's genuinely sweet, I would say, the way that they are with Laddie. Like, yeah. uh, like Dwayne is the one who's kind of in charge of Laddie. Like, Laddie mm-hmm. rides on the back of Dwayne's motorcycle. Right. So, and that's, like, kind of a cute scene. But, yeah, it seems like they get, like... I kind of always had assumed in the past that Laddie was Star's little brother and they got them mm-hmm. together. But then it doesn't actually jive when you see him on the milk carton. Like, it seems like he is... He, it seems like he is just another kid that they have for some reason. Yeah, they seem to have. I, it's, yeah, it seems like they're sort of like collecting orphans and runaways, um, you know, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they definitely represent that sort of like chosen family. So they're right, non. Right. right. And, yeah, that, and, that's a non-traditional family structure. Of course, Joel Schumacher is um, out, like you know, is a gay man. Yeah, famously, very, yes, yes, out and proud, which is wonderful. Um, and I would say also, there's like. A fair amount of uh, homoerotic undercurrent with these with these vampires. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, feel like not as much. Like some people write about how this yeah, is well, like yeah, a I feel like, about yeah. honey trapping men into homosexuality. I don't think it's that. <laughs> yeah, when I when I uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff I read like and uh, I think that this film has been sort of claimed for having to have a little bit of gay icon status. And I think that's great. Um, but just a lot of the stuff I read is where they'll just say stuff like, you know, well, I mean, Sam wears a lot of bright colors. So, I mean, no, like, like that kind of, seems no, but like a lot of the stuff that I read, I'm kind of like, dude, this says like a lot more about you than it does about the movie. Right. Um, I do think know. that there is this is kind of baked into vampirism. I read about this a little bit. Of course, of course, when you think about it, right, like um, vampires yeah. themselves and turning into a vampire is a sexual Right, right. Yes, Usually, they seduce you, and then you exchange body fluids, and now you're different. Through a, through a and this is pretty heteronormative, but through a penetrative act, right? They bite you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or they or they trick you into drinking vampire wine. In this, yeah. they sort of soften that, which I think is like should be mentioned more when we talk about the the homework. But I, I think that um, the thing that it that makes it um, that makes it a little bit. Uh, homoerotic is that they they kind of highlight that otherness is an important part of being a vampire which mm-hmm. i think speaks a lot to queer culture in a yes, yes. in a way that is helpful and good where you 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 are other but you, there are people who are like you and that's okay like right. that it's okay and, to and, have a chosen right. family yes and you can yeah and you you guys can hang together i mean i think that really um, that this this is also something I noticed this time is also this is a movie that does not pass the Bechdel test. Um, there are two female characters and they never talk to each other. So um, uh, that this is also this is a movie about brothers too. Like it's about family. It's also about brothers because you have um, uh, you have Mike and Sam. You have I think kind of you could I think you could build a pretty good case that like Mike and David are also kind of bro- like vampiric brothers. Um, and then, um, then you have the Frog Brothers, <laughs> and uh, we haven't talked about them yet. But they're in the most traditional family, but they're probably like among the least traditional people. <laughs> yeah. In that they are. I mean, how old do you think these people are? Like, like my, it is implied that Mike will go back to school, so he's probably like a junior. He's probably like. What, like I think 17. he's like seventeen years old. Yeah. Yeah, he's like seventeen. One assumes you think like uh, Sam is probably like like fourteen. I mean, like he's like. I a thought he was thirteen. Sophomore. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think he's brothers exiting are, middle school. Are presumably his age too. Um, maybe, but, maybe he's going to be a freshman this this coming school year. 
I was very I was very disappointed uh, because I when I watched it, I was like, well, this is weird that they're like into the military. And then I was like, oh, no, they're like exactly the kind of character who, if this was a younger movie, would be like wearing their Cub Scout or Junior Woodchuck uniforms. Then I read about it and I was like, originally, they were supposed to be chubby Cub Scouts. And I was like, no, that was my idea. I, I came up with that before, before well, it was an established up. thing. You you're stole it. Pick, you're just picking up on on the, the intended subtext. And I was actually surprised. So here's something that I have never realized about this movie until I watched it now. Sure. You have a a functioning, like a, a incredibly functional family living in a situation that traditional quote-unquote values would look down on, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Or think that they were failures or think that they were, uh, there was instability, was rampant, and the kids are running in the streets and everyone needs to panic. Then you have this vampire clan that's sort of like scooping up runaways and giving people a home. Granted, murdering people, but okay. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're bad, but yeah. <laughs> but maybe kind of good, yeah. And then you have the actual villain of the piece, so revealed in the final act, right? right Max. Right. And what is what does Max mean in this movie? Max is attempting to return his clan of vampires to a traditional family structure. Oh, yeah, boys by need a mother. By yeah. luring this this woman who has escaped that. Mm-hmm. Into 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 joining him and bringing her kids along with him, and, and and kind of return to this. He represents, I think, that viewpoint. Right? Oh, yeah. You kind of see him as yeah, yeah. I can see that. Which He's then kind of... sent me down this whole rabbit hole <laughs> of all uh-huh. these things, and I was like, "That's actually kind of amazing." And they make they make a big deal. I mean, like he's he's kind of he's an interesting villain because you get the sense that he's kind of square. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only person who seems affluent at all in this. I mean, granted, he runs like a video rental store on like a like yeah. A he, he he seems boardwalk. he seems like he seems like comfortably middle class. He doesn't he he's he not seems rich. He seems but, like fancy, but like fancy because he's like the kind of guy who's who who the kids will be like, hey, professor, give me a nickel. Like he's yeah, but he seems he, wears, edu- he seems educated. Yeah. He, he dresses blo- like he's Thomas Dolby. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. He's, he's, he's he dresses a little bit square, right? Yeah, yeah. But like, but like, just edgy enough to show that, like, you know, he reads he re- he reads the sh- he you know, he reads sharper image. Like he has yeah. he yeah. there are more than one back massagers in his house for sure. <laughs> like I love actually the scene where you see his house and they're drinking out of those insane weird uh like champagne flutes that oh, go yeah. all the way down to the base. They're like they're like giant funnels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just totally crazy. And so then I started thinking about like the way Max looked and what he represented during this time and the connection to Reagan. And then I was like, whoa, is this a is this a like, I don't think that this is intentional to the text, but I could see in this movie in a non um, in a non bigoted way, this vampirism being representative of AIDS. Oh, so what you have is mm-hmm. David and his gang, right, are beautiful young people who have been rendered monstrous and sure. robbed of mm-hmm. any chance of having a normal life, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. By an older white man who not wow. only is is irresponsible for the infection that they have, mm-hmm. but also has refused to help them in any real way and keeps just 
insisting over and over again that what's going to fix this is if they return to family values and everything will be made better, that that is the way to fix this problem as opposed to as opposed to anything that would be more reasonable, you know, Mm -hmm. like that would actually help the fact that he has he has caused this. He is the it is his fault that they murder people. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I like it. It's great. It's a great idea. It's a great read. Yeah. Um, well, and it's really cool because I think that you, it's it's so it, I like it because as I was like watching it, I was like, it's really crazy to think at this time. Like this is like the peak of the AIDS epidemic, right? Yeah, it's like eighty seven, I think. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy that you have this movie that's all about, and I think that's actually kind of why, relatively speaking, um, you don't see a lot of blood exchanged between people in this movie. Like mm-hmm. that's, I think, kind of maybe why the jeweled pirate bottle exists. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of think that the, the we, vampires spray blood all over people, but yeah, yeah, and we can we can we can kind of get to that. Um, we'll, we'll get to that later, I think. Um, but both in, from my point of view, why the why the pirate bottle is important, and also all that blood, which if you'll which, which you'll notice is uh, is the fake blood is laced with glitter to make it look extra extra fancy, glisteny. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and and the vampires kind of just produce glitter. I like when they come out of the vampires like like hidey hole, like the mm-hmm. when they when they come and they kill Marco. How yeah. when they all come out, they're all kind of like lightly covered in visible glitter. You're like, what what was happening down there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. But I think it's a smart move because to make to make a movie about about like infection spreading between people via blood mm-hmm. by a person who had what you said twenty thousand. Uh, yeah. Sexual partners like this movie is actually kind of aggressively sex positive before I think that that was even an idea mm-hmm. like the Emersons have absolutely no issue with anyone in their families getting their sexual needs met. And in fact, Lucy has like a pretty frank discussion with Sam about how like it's not cool that he keeps like he keeps like blowing up her spot while she's on dates <laughs> <laughs> like right. The grandpa, yeah, the yeah. grandpa, they talk about the grandpa going and like, ha- like meeting his girlfriend, um, mm-hmm. even though like Lucy talks about the fact that like her mother has died. Right. Like there's no mm-hmm. weirdness there. There's no there's it's just sort of accepted that sometimes Michael's going to be out all night. There's no weirdness there. Um, there's no problem with uh, with Sam having a, a, a mostly nude Rob Lowe picture poster in his room. No one cares. It's all good. It's all fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but like they're also like a like 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 a, like a reasonable functional family with without. Uh, I don't know. I guess what I'm really saying is probably that 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 should that should be the baseline and normal and good, but not so much. Um, I think there's also something here where the boys, um, there's 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 an underlying thing that being a that kids are powerful and scary, and being a kid is powerful and scary. Like the boys send their mom and grandpa away to uh, to, to protect their house and fight these vampires. Like they, they don't they don't want their mom to you know they don't want their mom to get hurt. They don't want grandpa to get hurt. Um, and then the return of at least the grandpa also sort of symbolizes the power of the family unit that that, that they need to they need to all be together to be safe mm-hmm. as one, which is kind of cool. Even even the kooky grandpa who basically is like a com- comedic character throughout. It turns out he he's he's the one who knows the most about what is going on completely. Because you'll watch when Max comes over, he 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 kind of peeks out from his uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, taxidermy um, 
uh, studio and then he 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 gets real weird and he closes the door and then after that you see his truck is covered in wooden stakes and stuff so you know like does he know that max is the is a vampire uh for the purpose of the movie it's kind of tricky because like he should just tell his daughter and not let her go on dates with him but i don't know it's it's kind of neat (laughs) I did kind of like that. I do think he must know. Like, that's mm-hmm. that seems pretty implicit. I actually thought it was kind of nice that he didn't, like, lecture his daughter, especially since in the in the context of this film, they would have to they'd have to shade why he was doing that from you. And mm-hmm. you would think that he was just being like, my little girl's not allowed. Yeah, you stay away from him. He's trouble. He's right. A- right. Which I think would have really undercut a lot of these nice themes. So they just don't do it. Like they yeah, just yeah. don't. And I think it's fine. That's, that's just easygoing Northern California people. Um, there's also a great line. So do you remember when um, when they attack the uh, the surfers who are dancing to uh, walk this way? The, and, the neo-Nazis? Yeah. Yeah. The surf Nazis. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they uh, when um, David is trying to goad Michael into killing and eating, he said, it's too late. My blood is in your veins. And uh, uh, Michael says, so is mine. Um, which sort of asserts maybe a thing, maybe a, uh, both establishing identity and ties, ties of blood and kinship, but also you are maybe not necessarily defined by your blood. So you can have found and chosen family and that family is powerful and important, but family is not de- family and genetics and blood is mm-hmm. not destiny that you, you, you as an individual have some, some autonomy there, which is cool because this, you know, family is powerful and important, but it's, it, it, it is maybe optional or at least it is up to you the person to define what that means yeah and i think that they kind of go out of their way i think they do this with all the vampires but most of the vampires are you don't you don't connect with them the same way you do david like david's really right. the only vampire who gets david. to talk yeah yeah david right, yeah. uh is the only yeah. vampire who really gets to talk but i think that they do a really good job of making these vampires scary but not necessarily painted as villains you don't really get to see them kill that many people Right. And yeah, this is a this is a thing actually that I think is kind of the way the filmmaking at the time, like the, the vampires, it would seem kind of fly around and fight. I guess we see it when Michael and David fight. They fight like they're like in a Superman movie, like they can just kind of fly around and push each other around and stuff. And we see like when they kill that uh, that policeman who gives them trouble on the carousel in the kind of in the opening part. Mm-hmm. And then we, they, they do the like POV, which right in an era before like drones probably those shots were a lot harder to do yeah it's crazy um, to th- where, like, i don't know like how they did fly, that. flies in and zooms in on him it must be like a huge crane shot or something with some zoom there um mm-hmm. and uh uh and, and and what's funny is i think that, that that that's a little bit dated that's that that feels like an old way of showing it if this movie was made you know last week I feel like these vampires would be like running and like like uh, wire fooing their way around, and we, we'd see we'd see it would just be shot differently. But it also creates this sort of menace because we see the vampires um, until I mean until the surf Nazi scene. I don't think we ever actually see them do anything. We sort of see like the camera zoom in on people, and people are scared, and bad stuff happens, but we don't really see any 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 visceral violence or blood or anything. Right, and I'm sure that it was done as a budgetary thing, but I do think that it has. Yeah. Oh no, I think it's very effective. It's it's just yeah. something we don't that they don't they don't really do anymore. Um, well, but in this and case, I think it's it has effective. it has the added benefit of you don't you don't really you don't really think that they're threatening, but you don't hate them, and you're not you don't think that they are necessarily immoral immoral or I don't or evil. Like it's just. 
it just kind of they have this side of them that is quite monstrous and they're kind of scary they're kind of scary because they're like scary teenagers Mm -hmm. but they're not like you also kind of like want to be them like they're seductive in that way and i think that vampire movies try to do this all the time and uh like anne rice tries to do this right and you watch yeah. it now, and it just seems like if you watch an Interview with a Vampire now, you're just like, and uh, and Brad Pitt's like, I quite like looking at crucifixes. I'm sure at the time that that's felt very sexy, and now it's just kind of funny, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this yes. movie is still quite effective in that way, because you're like, yeah, it is. Like what you were saying about being a kid can be scary. That is what, when you see them around and like hanging out that's kind of the aura you get from it and so you feel it returns you to a place of youth when you see the cool kids and you want to be them you know but you're also like intimidated by them um yeah it's also kind of weird um i this is something that uh so right um i i don't presume to speak for you but so in my life right like you you you're a teenager, you hang out in teen spaces, which are kind of kind of a weird narrow band of places because you can't go to bars or, you know, whatever. So you hang out like the mall or movie theaters or, you know, a Walmart parking lot or wherever, wherever it is that you hang out. Lots of loitering. Right. Yeah. Coffee houses. Then you go off to college, then you move into and then you're sort of in like kind of, I think, sort of a house party dorm, you know. Hang yeah, out nobody has any money. So you're just always hanging out right. in someone's like revolting apartment. Right, right. Then you start to sort of get into the bar scene. Then you have kids and uh, or you, you don't have to, but like this has been sort of the arc of my life. Then you have kids and you start like I start hanging out in places where I see kids that are the same age as my kids and, you know, that sort of thing. And then so you don't see a lot of te- I don't see a lot of teenagers as part of my daily life. But we go to you go to things like I went to a um, uh, church nearby us had a little like like parish festival or whatever. And we went like we a fall bar- festival. Yeah, yeah, we went. We, or it was I think it was in the summer, but we went and we ate barbecue and like rode a Ferris wheel and everything. And there were so many teenagers there and it was like unbelievable. And like, oh, this is where they all are. Um, or I went to the um, uh, I went to like a, like a like a like a swim club, like a pool, like a public pool. That's not public, you know, and you're like, oh, this is you where went, all the teenagers you, are. Yeah, you went to you went to a, a public pool. I think it's yeah, the easiest right. way to explain. Yeah, it. yeah. But you know what I mean? Like and, and so um, it's just funny because I think that uh Teens are all together and also kind of outside uh, outside of the eyes of the public all the time, um, which is why I like the opening scene in this where you see just all these teenagers just kind of hanging out on the boardwalk. Um, it feels very real and effective and they sort of have their own little uh, world and social dynamics and everything um, that is, you know, basically basically ignored by the relatively inattentive adults <laughs> in, uh, in in this world, but also in uh, in real life, too. Well, it's sort of, I guess, like when you're a teenager, you basically don't want to be around mm. anybody else who's not like your age or slightly not older. Also, a teen, except, right. except for well, yeah, except for like always, right? There's always that 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 person who's dating somebody who's like 25 years old or whatever. Oh yeah, like the, like the scary older the scary older men that like just yeah, circle yeah. vulture around teenage groups. Yeah, no, of course that guy as well, who probably <laughs> is definitely on the flight log. Um, so, so actually, I was going to share something with you. So, did you know there's an un there was an unfilmed epilogue to this film? Um, there was originally supposed to be a scene. So after the you know, um, it's all the damn vampires joke. Then we were supposed to kind of have the credits. Then there was supposed to be a post credit scene. This was not something that was common in movies at this point. You know, 
Marvel had not come and ruined all of that. Um, but you were supposed to kind of see like a camera kind of exploring the space of the vampire lair in that like Sutro baths place where they they hang mm-hmm. out. Right. And it's supposed to go, go down in there and look kind of look around, look at their vampire stuff. And then we were going to see a mural and the mural was going to be like clearly from like the turn of the century. And we were going to see a dapper man in like a boater hat who is clearly Max like in this painting, in this mural painted on the wall, I guess. Maybe it was going to be a photograph. I don't know. But in this tapestry. This, yeah. Right. Yes. In this, in this, in this brocade uh, rug um, uh, on the boardwalk, clearly it's him having not aged a day since 1900 talking to some young men on the, on the boardwalk. Like, you know, just sort of established like, oh, the lost boy, you know, this is he, he was he's, he's always col- done this. Yeah. He's yeah. been collecting boys. Which leads me to think, so do you think, so um, I, I don't mean to derail us a little bit, but so do you think that David and David's little gang, how long do you think these guys have been vampires? Oh, um, I mean, knowing that probably the answer is like a hundred years. You think, but like, I mean, like, do you think they're them? Do you think no, that, do you think no. that Max, and, and then how many vampire glad, families I'm, does Max have? And does he collect these guys? And are these vampires, are his under vampires kind of expendable? Yeah, well, he definitely doesn't seem sad about the fact that they die. I mean, I think that that's, like, supposed to upset you. Like, the other vampires do seem, like, really mad when Marco dies. Like, they're right. upset. Yes. Like, and yeah. Right? So you get the sense that they have... You kind of have this beautiful contrast where you have um, you have this gang that does really seem to care about each other. They live together. And then you have this, like, colder, distant, patriarchal male figure right. who just wants them to be a normal family again, quote unquote, right? Sure. And sure. like and like and and get a wife to take to rein his boys in. Like get mm-hmm. them all together. Um and but he doesn't really seem to care about them. So it would make sense to me that he's like tried this a couple of different ways and a couple sure. of different times. And yeah. like the the maybe maybe the boys break away from him or maybe they die. Who knows? But but, but, but he does seem to feel like I mean for for certain guys at least paternal towards them he they are his but my boys you know like and not right, and not, only, like like like, like i don't think that he ha- i don't think he has secret vampire families all over the nor- the no, greater no, no, no. northern cal like is only these, his, these are his his these vampires are his current boys right but it's i just, feel just, like yeah. i feel like it's more uh, it almost feels like biblical in a way like where you read about where you read about you hear about um like these like great patriarchs that had all these sons and like yeah some of them die and like some of them run away and it's like some not of that them big try of a deal. to murder each other over yeah, really colorful coats it's, it's fine like you can just always get more boys you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's just yeah. it's fine so it's sort of like that sort of weird thing Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that that does bind you so strongly to to the the kids. And I think it makes it really necessary for there to be another force, because I think you have these two opposing families that are others. Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimate message of this story is not like you don't have to worry about the outside forces like the outside forces are nothing to fear. They may not be for you, but for a lot of people, that is what they have. And they can form really nice families in that setting. Mm-hmm. Like they can yeah. be, they can be productive, loving members of society in that setting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But so, it's not, it's not these strange people, quote unquote, who are going to steal your kids. It's actually these respectable 401k having older straight white men who are going to like suck every last drop out of their victims while they whisper sweet nothings about cultural stability as they do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that—that that is, 
that that's what's there to fear. Um, and I think that that's very strong in a movie about how families work. Like you don't have to follow a traditional formula or you don't have to you don't have to define what kind of stability your family is going to have by a system that won't work with you, you know? Um, yeah. Like the, the point is that if you're in a family, your members stick together and you allow everyone to be individuals, but you also protect each other when you have to and you love each other no matter what. And that's 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 what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Lost Boys, obvious Peter Pan reference, right? So yes. do we agree as Max Peter in no. the in the original script? David is Peter. David was actually named Peter. So you I think, think that makes sense. You think so? You don't think that. You don't think it's kind of like in so in the in the book, Peter talks about um, killing so many pirates. He forgets their names. He's not sad when the when when lost boys get hurt or killed. He's sort of a weird, capricious, almost otherworldly kind of like, again, fairy with an IE kind of uh, uh, kind of force. Because I would argue that Max is Peter. He's collecting these lost boys. He's finding these lost people and kind of spiriting them away and making them immortal and keeping them children forever. And then, like, if anything happens, you can always get more. He also wants he also wants a mother for his boys, just like Peter Pan does, right? Wendy oh yeah, is, I kind of forgot Wendy that he is wants captured. Wendy to do that. Wendy yeah. is supposed to be their mom. Um, I thought it was cool that 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 the dog Nanook is na- is Nana the dog. Nana, right? yeah. So does this make Star Tinkerbell? Oh, maybe. <laughs> Is Laddie Tinkerbell? <laughs> Laddie might be Tinkerbell. Um, uh, and I then, did, of course, oh, go ahead. Oh, I did read. Uh, so do you remember who the Lost Boys are from Peter Pan? Um, no, not really. Okay. So the Lost Boys are described in Peter Pan as boys who fall out of their prams when their nurse is looking the other way and they're not claimed in seven days. So the orphanages send them away to Neverland. And then Peter Pan is their captain. And I guess some enterprising soul, probably Wendy, asks, why are there no lost girls? And Peter says, girls are far too clever to fall out of their prams, Mm -hmm. which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, if anything, I would think that Max is kind of a Captain Hook figure. But You think so? I mean, although I I can't remember, so... I feel like Peter Pan is such a like iconic story. And then there's all this kind of funny revisionism and everything where there's like versions where like, if the lost boys ever grow up, they become pirates. Captain, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't think that's in the original text. Um, but so, you don't, yeah. So you think, cause I mean, I think, uh, I probably have the revisionists where like you read about, like there's like, there's some thought around the idea that the lost boys are about like kind of unattended children um, getting like kind of living in this like fantasy world and then these menacing adults who will prey on them sort of mm-hmm. like hanging at the outskirts. Yeah. Although um, I, yeah, but, but that's a very contemporary. Well, movie. sure. But I'm also of the, of the, uh, of a revisionist view that also Peter Pan himself is probably kind of a menacing figure too, right? Like why would you take unattended children and bring them to a world where they have to like fight, fight battles with murderous pirates? that's creepy and weird too right like being being 13 years old forever is actually a horrifying prospect well right so yeah maybe you're right i mean because mm. i i have this idea of max as being this person who basically yeah yeah you you, you robs have kind of... children of their futures robs right, yeah, yeah. youth of 
of the thing that makes youth worth having, which is that it's temporary. Yeah, yeah. Patron saint of the show, Alan Moore's um, Lost Girls um, version of uh, of uh, of Captain Hook as a as a child molester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's definitely where I get my revisionist history about who Captain Hook is for sure. Yeah. So but um. I- so so also I would just submit I think Lucy the mom right named Lucy, rather like Lucy Westerna, um, who is of course um, Lucy from from the Bram Stoker's Dracula story. Yes. Um, you know. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, the I think that. Um, I, um, though, so there was supposed to be a sequel, um, or or there are, there are, there are a couple like direct to DVD sequels which are not very good to Lost Boys that were made many years later. Mm-hmm. But Schumacher says that at the time he wanted to make a sequel called Lost Girls, which was going to be about vampire biker babes. His words, not mine. Would would have watched. Yes, sounds. Yeah, great. I, I've seen that too. Um, so it's interesting that just that his he at least. Acknowledged that the, this this is definitely a men's film. Or this is this is a, this is a this is a movie that is about boys, um, and uh, may, may, maybe would have kind of gone the other way. Although who knows, it could also have been kind of like like in the same way that like nobody thinks that women in prison movies are exactly uh, you know uh, big guns feminism. Um, let's talk about the poetry of the immortal teenager. I would like to start off the section by talking about the tagline the tagline for this. Movie. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Which is sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. <laughs> like, which is the longest tagline in the history of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, 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 li- I liked this. It's, uh, of course, there's like a lot of poetry to being um, an immortal teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think especially at this time, I mean, like at any time period that like, I've been alive, for sure, kind of this idea of trying to stay forever young, trying to like keep your youth, you Mm -hmm. know, is, is like such a thing so much so that people my age who are still relatively young will joke about like, Oh, I was so old. I went to bed kind of early last night as like being like, look how regressive I am to admit that I'm old. Like that's how much a piece of our, of our, of our lives. This is so much so that you have like a snake eating its own tail kind of situation. But um, any, and even then we can, you, you could sort of like disappear into the, well, I'm in my twenties sort of thing. I mean, you know, uh, being, being the American teenager is such a like iconic and like immortal idea we have. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a invention of the modern world, but you know, right. Like how many years are you really like an American teenager? Like how, you know, how, how many years are you allowed to be in dazed and confused? It's actually like, like two or three. You know, yeah. it's this, it's, the, but it's this, 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 this solid piece of time, this time in life. And we all know what it means and what it represents. It's a transitional period. Um, I would, uh, I would say that, you know, keeping with what we talked about um, before, it's also a time where you're kind of sorting out like who you are and who your family and your people are. Um, this is when people get kicked out of their house. This is also where people choose to run away, you know, leave home. This is also where people kind of reaffirm maybe maybe familial bonds as well and also teenagers socialization is so important i mean i i remember when i was a teenager being like mom and dad just don't understand how important it is to have lots of friends <laughs> right 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 they don't yeah. understand that i need to talk to multiple people multiple times a week for like two plus hours on the phone right i need to hang out it's important and then yeah. i think that being a parent um i'm not a parent of a teenager but um 
being a parent of a teen, like this is that this is a joke. They almost kind of lampshade it in the movie. But right, going from having a, a precious little sweet boy like Sam who like wants to cuddle in bed, and then he turns into like Mike who like the, like like won't take his sunglasses off because he's always high and um you know is like constantly hungover and asleep and has has new and unnatural in quotes appetites right suddenly he likes girls suddenly he's into booze and drugs wants to stay out all night with his motorcycle that like that that can be sort of a a monstrous dare i say perhaps vampiric kind of transformation you know right right like suddenly suddenly this this creature that you recognize is is a monster on the inside yeah totally works yeah yeah you know and then I, i also think it's cool because i think that we like i i don't know i i feel like a lot of more modern vampires we like our vampires to be sad it's the Anne rice thing we like our vampires to be sad and morose and geniuses and they're all tortured and they're sad you know kind of thing but these vampires are impulsive powerful immortal feeling teenagers who who are who are quite powerful but sort of they, they sort of have like a like a bestial uh, edge to them you know, right? Like, I like it even when they bite the surf Nazi and they like bite them on the side of the head. And blood shoots there. I don't even. Know, I don't know what they even bit there exactly. Yeah. But but you I know what I mean. This, this, these this vampires the, have all been vampires for less than five years. You think so? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, I think right? They're new. Yeah. Would Wouldn't it be super funny if David is from like nineteen hundred? <laughs> I think gone. it would change. He's, I think it would change my feeling on this because I see them as kind of representing. So, like, of course, you have, like, Jim Morrison as, like, the ghost in the machine of who right, they're right, trying sure. to be, right, vampirically yeah. speaking, right? Sure. And, like, you know, you see his poster in the cave. They have the cover of People Are right, Strange. Right. And I think – so I think that there's sort of this tie where you see, like, these pressures placed on these, like, talented, young, beautiful people. Sure. Make them, like, emotionally spin out so such that they die before they're 30. Like, they, they don't – right. They they don't they're not ready to cope with it. Maybe nobody is ready to cope with it at any period of their time of their life. But they're young and it's extra sad that that talent is just sort of like pittered mm-hmm. away. They either numb themselves up or they die or they do both. <laughs> like those yeah. are the choices, right? Yeah. And go out in a blaze of glory. I mean, um, I think that my, I think Mike also draws a lot of the way he dresses from like a from another famous dead young person, James Dean. He. Mm-hmm motorcycle leather jacket you know like they i think the for all of the edginess and mtv generation of the way that the vampires dress and look they also kind of have like this time like you know that they all have motorcycles and like they the the dumb stuff i um i think the vampiric indoctrination is exactly like what joining a gang would be like um at least based on you know movies uh, and I think that uh, that that whole sequence could be interpreted in a different movie as being sort of like young people with motorcycles getting in trouble because, right, like Michael, is, Michael, C, Michael C. Star and he wants to be with her. And you have a funny hunter is hunted thing there where he, he seems almost predatory. He's kind of following her. But it turns out that, of course, the whole plan is for him to follow her and then she will eat him. Um, mm mm-hmm. But then he meets up with the boyfriend and, you know, they have their sort of like teenage macho, like, get on my bike. No, get on my bike, you know, and then they ride. And it's 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 totally like a playing chicken thing, right, where the, there's the cliff edge and then it's hang off this trestle bridge with us. Then they go down. Then it's like, hey, you want to see our hideout? So they go down to their little fort and in a instead. of And, and I even would say that the scene with the you know worms, you're eating worms, they're maggots, Michael. 
kind of scenes are exactly like in those movies. What they'll do is they'll like get the guy a little bit drunk or they'll give him some drugs and then they'll like mess with him. Okay, fine. Then it becomes the like, join us if you drink our if you drink our vampire wine, if you do our ritual, our weird, stupid thing, you know, because you've shown you're cool. We, we, you, you were you were brave. You you did the things that we wanted you to do. You put up with us hassling you and you were cool about it. It's hazing. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll like let you in. And so I think like like all of that up to that point, up to that point. And then even then when they're vampires and they're eating, even that's also kind of gangish because it's totally the like blood in kind of thing where it's like, look, to join our gang, you have to kill these Nazis with us. And then you're in for life. And the only way out is if you get killed. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'm just saying so that they have and, and right and, and, and street gangs, very big, a very, a very big concern in the 80s and 90s, especially the 90s. Um uh, for you know middle class white people um and uh i think that uh and, and it also represents sort of a a, a ersatz or surrogate family structure that is that is parallel to uh you know traditional traditional structures well and i think that the the opening has like the setting and particularly the opening for this movie is really really awesome for that for this story particularly to be told because mm-hmm. you have kind of you have this like the nihilism of youth is that you're you you have you have every option available to you. That's what you're told, right? You the world stands before you, um, laid out on a silver platter. But at the same time, like functionally speaking, it's not it's not just yours for the taking. There are there are costs to it. There's some things that like you never. There's some people who will never be let in, right? Because of <laughs> right, mostly right. socioeconomic structure, um, but. There's also sort of this idea like it demands that you conform to it and there's also certain blockers that will keep you from ever really achieving it. Mm -hmm. So you get this nihilism where you're like, well, I might as well feel good before I, you know, feel good before I I start falling apart. Like I should just enjoy my time here. Sure. And I love this like boardwalk world of, of excess as sort of this, and it's cheap, right? It's like a cheap excess as like, as a, a setting for this, because, you know, this opening, you see, um, you see like a miniature and very soft-sided like culture war happening in the car where like Lucy's driving and her boys keep being like, no, not this old, this old music of your generation. Mm-hmm. Like, keep right. going, keep going. We're cool. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of goading their mom. But it's like it's 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 in a safer environment. And then you go to this this boardwalk where you have all these like disorienting, whirling carnival rides intercut with like the people living on the margins of society. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then that is also like the, all these neon missing po- persons flyers are all woven in there as well. While people, while Echo and the Bunnymen cover of People Are Strange plays, and then you see these characters kind of like slowly like trickling out into this community. Like there's that scene where Michael is walking down the boardwalk and he's like, "Are there any jobs?" Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, like, "Nothing legal." Yeah. yeah, nothing legal. I think it's supposed to be where like this. Like those spaces, you have spaces where people are visibly others and they go there because they can live as other as the quote unquote other mm-hmm. without judgment. But the cost is that they are excluded from any sort of uh, economically up any economic upward mobility. Right. I, I would and, say also. Um, so I think you have a lot of sympathy for the vampires, but the vampires also represent a predatory element that yes. is eating and destroying. I mean, you know, are they outsiders who have. 
been this doesn't really work with the HIV metaphor, but like, are they outsiders who have sort of secretly sold out to the man in the form of Max, who maybe represents the man as far fair enough for this? But, you know, and then and then turn their violence on the communities that they were once a part of, uh, you know, and kind of the way like a serial killer will kill people who are, you know, sort of on the margins because they're they're less likely to be missed. Um, well, so, so just I to say, but I mean, like, so I, and, I, and, and I think I think we're probably like trying to have it have this have a very. um it's, it's I don't think it's as neat as all. Yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I don't think it's I as do. cohesive a, a state, but just like the vampires represent that like. Or the the boardwalk is 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 Babylon. It is excess. It is the fallen world. We also see that it also is a place where you can just go and be yourself. But also that can be a little bit dangerous because that because you're you're swimming in deep waters, and that's also a metaphor for being a being a teenager, right? You you leave you you leave your home. You're no longer a child, and now and now 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 there are consequences in the world. Then the world will get you, and if you're not careful, the vampires will bite you. You know that sort that sort of thing. Well, and I think it's the fall. Like, I think that this is this is post like kind of commune, uh, like a utopia, like all of that is oh, yeah. the, shattered. The, yeah. So we, we see a couple. We see old hippies. Uh, those those old hippies in the comic book store are the Frog Brothers parents, right? Correct. Yes. Which but is like weird which that is, they're which, and so it's funny that they two have like old these hippies with their like with their like military Chuck Norris military kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which makes I, I mean, think, it's yeah. But I think that I don't think that there's any illusion that like the boardwalk is a good place to be. Like, I mm-hmm. think that we're supposed to understand that, like the cost, the cost of living on the margins of society are right. Like y- you, you are ex- you've excluded yourself from having to conform. But at the same time, like the, the price of that is pretty high. Like the right. brutality yeah. of living in poverty on the streets will will take you before before you're old like take you before your time for sure mm-hmm. um and then all of the excess of the of the carnival are just bread and circuses to keep you occupied mm-hmm. and you know i think i think that there is there's a suggestion there where our culture's demand and socioeconomic structure has forced people who choose to, to opt out to effectively become the living dead. Like, right. They're like the dead and less dead for sure. They're already mm-hmm. dead people pretty much. And that if you have Max kind of hunting and, and creating this little, this pack of this pack of family in this space, what he's really doing is he is, um, he is making, he's forming a family or he'll always be the most powerful member. His children will never grow old. They'll never threaten his patriarchy. He can always replace them. He gets to go back and forth between the world of the middle class and the world of the boardwalk, Mm -hmm. just as the tourists that you see there do as well, right? Like you see tourists kind of mingling in this space, but they get to leave. The difference is that the Lost Boys never get to leave. And so that he always has a place of power over them, no matter Mm -hmm. what. And that is a that's a very cool idea of 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 being a youth and be the difference between youth and adulthood. Like these adults Mm -hmm. have options and they can go or they can come. But if you've decided to be a lost wife, you've decided to commit yourself to youth culture, you can't you can't trans you can't like go past that invisible veil and Mm -hmm. and and be a normal person, quote unquote. We just won't let you. Mm hmm. You're just yeah. going to you're just going to be a person on a missing poster sign forever. Yeah, although, yeah, but and, and also the only people who can pull it off are people who are who are who are dead. 
like that's the other thing you know right i don't know right like yeah, at, at some the point you way, become the only way you can at, at survive this lifestyle you become, is you become matthew mcconaughey's character in in days and confused uh, well, you know? which is another predator right so like you kind of yeah. it, it's well right. yeah oh, i mean sure but also but also i mean i mean in sort of the like pathetic try hard kind you know right like right. maybe or maybe maybe you're more like um uh o'bannon and days and confused the uh the the um uh, the um, Ben Affleck character then like the person who never who never moves on who doesn't realize that this is no longer for him yeah well and you become pitiable yeah right yeah 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 right I, not to say that those characters aren't also predatory but just just the highlighting a different aspect of them well and it's interesting too because we're given two actually like potentially not um not like stellar examples of the fact that you can be an adult and not do this. Uh, I think Lucy's a pretty good example, right? Like she's blazing a new trail. She's doing something new and scary, but she's still definitely the mom. Like there's no yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not trying to be, she's not trying to be a kid, yeah. you know? Or right. Like- and, and then you have grandpa who like absolutely is just like letting his freak flag Yeah, he just fly. does his own thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think that there is there is there are options suggested for older people beyond just like being sellouts or um, or feeding on feeding on youthful excess or in this case, which I think is suggested both like mm-hmm. that is how that is how the status quo is is held. And they have and people people like Max have a vested interest in keeping the status quo in place. Right. So. They will maintain those boundaries and those lines, uh, and rob and rob youths of ever of ever um, threatening their power, right? Mm-hmm. By keep by robbing them of their future and just keeping them children forever. Um, but uh, you know there are other options. You don't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You want to do some light. You want to do some lightning round favorite scenes. Yes. Um, let's start with the music in general, uh, I think, which I think is best represented by Saxman. What is what is fantastic choice? I love his chains and I love his oil. Yeah, I just, he, he, a lot of a lot of Viking energy there. The music is great. I mean, um, we we keep talking about the the people are strange, you know. Um, but the uh, sorry, the Doors cover. But um, there's also another great cover uh, over the credits. They play "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." Yeah, which, <laughs> which is, is which is like funny. which is awesome. And then the um, the cry little sister, the Thou shall not kill, which is written for this, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, we Which have is walked- kind of crazy. You would think it'd be like a song that'd be like these vampires. It's like seems like oddly, uh, oddly um, off off center of of the themes of this movie, but it works perfectly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it's not too literal. It's not um, it's not David Bowie's song for cat people, is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, but I think that um- or or even worse, the Ramones song for Pet Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> But I think I think that we, but the music is part of also like that that you know for um for all the uh, potential uh, symbolism and everything that we've been talking about this this movie creates a fairly immersive world and the music is part of it and the costuming is really good 
um, and just the kind of like like weird stuff that you can see kind of going around in the background. The dialogue is um, is good, but also a little bit weird. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this later, I think, but or we'll come up. We're coming up on that. But um, the dialogue is a, little, is a little bit stylized, but not not in the not to it. To a way that makes it seem like this is just sort of a choice about the way the movie is not some that this isn't this doesn't feel like super dated. It feels like it is of the 80s, but isn't like a like pastiche or something. This isn't it's like the difference between the first and the third season of Stranger Things, where one thing kind of feels like an artifact from the past. and The other one is like clearly a modern thing, kind of poking, poking tropes from the past. Uh so I thought I, I think this uh, I think that uh, this creates a cohesive and immersive world that you can kind of dive into and explore. It, it helps it. Um, I think it helps it maintain its. Uh, it, it allows it to, to feel to feel relevant now. Right. And because and, and, and if it was like just just a bunch of like uh, uh, sort of like 80s MTV jukebox hits, it would immediately feel more dated. Whereas in this, they make kind of more clever uh, soundtrack choices that, uh, that, that 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 sort of actually fit. Yeah, I also think it was really smart. I, I think I revisited the uh, Doors version of um, People Are Strange, and I'm really mm. glad that they, they did a cover of it. <laughs> that also, not, not to like, that makes it sound like I'm like... Um, dissing it but it's just like that also is feels very of a time mm-hmm. and by by ex- by abstracting it with a cover it feels a little bit more timeless yeah sure sure well and, and even then it can be sort of old things are new again or you know the 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 um juxtaposition of something old like vampires and something young like teenagers teenage street punks um it, it, it's a chocolate and peanut butter situation you, you know who we haven't talked about enough? The oh, Frog Brothers. Brothers. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Right. They are, as you said at the top, they are absolutely hilarious. Um, I love, I love the scene. <laughs> I love the scene where they're just like are over at dinner when Max is there to like oh, test yeah. him to be see if he's being a vampire, which is also like feels very real. And there's also, I think, even hints of uh, Max trying to be like very traditional and basically Michael being like, ew, Adam, well, where he's like, you're the man of the house. I need to shake your hand. And Michael's just like, Ugh. oh, you're the man of the house. I, I think you might need to invite me. In. It's so OK. So it's so good. Like, I think that. I think you I, what's funny is I think that you like the the you like the vampire you like David you like David's little gang more than I do but I think I like Max more than you do but just, but it's just like a performance thing like I like that I think that the the double fake out cuz this is set up where Sam thinks I like them that, both I just yeah. I like that I think that Max is more sinister than Oh David's yeah gang. for sure he's he's the most the most evil but he's he's the secret bad guy. Yeah, yeah. but what's it's it's awesome the thing with the shaving mirror and he's like bah! And, then, and the it's not parmesan cheese it's it's garlic. Right, but you hate garlic. But you know, but you're set up to be like, well, Sam is a little immature. Of course, he doesn't like the the new the the new fancy man who wants to take his mommy away from him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like when they when 
uh, Sam, when Sam and the Frog Brothers sort of like land on Max as being a potential vampire, you're like, no, it's because they don't know. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie before, you're like, no, it's because they don't know about David. It's not Max. What's we? They even go out of their way to kind of show weird, ambiguous scenes where remember when Max is like, I told you not to come around here, which is totally like, yeah, don't, don't, we don't can't do vampire shit in the store. You got, you guys got to, got to go. They can't, they can't know about us. Or this when, is my respectable place of work, children. Right. Or when he goes to, right. Yeah. Not, not in the bank. He's like Mr. Banks in, the, in mm-hmm. Mary Poppins. No. Or like, or even when he's at the house, right. And he gets kind of spooked. And then you see that there are the motorcycles there. And then like, it's just kind of that, that scene just sort of ends. And you're like, are they menacing him? You don't, it, it doesn't look like he's in cahoots, but it's a great like fake out. And then he gets cleared and it's like a double fake out. And, and they, mm-hmm. they do a great job with it, I think. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think you think that he's supposed to be kind of a nebbish hero, maybe, um, with his goofy glasses and stuff. Um, but, but instead, he was, he's the rotten heart of the conspiracy. Uh, I said we we're going to talk about the, the, the Frog Brothers. Um, the, um, they are conspiracy theorists. I like that they think that there are ghouls and werewolves in the top of City Hall and everything. Um, I also like that they represent something that do we have this now that they're like kids who know how to do stuff um, like ki- kids with strange expertise. The Goonies is like full of like every kid in Goonies is 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 that kid. Um, are you asking if like precocious children are still in style? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like kids with like gimmicks, though, like now I just think everybody is like characters from super bad. And it's like, hey, look, it's cool. He says he says bad words. This kid is very frank about his sexuality. Yeah, probably if we watched more like kind of middle of the road stuff. Yeah, we might see a little bit. But no, I I think like like capable children are like, yeah, uh, we're kind of past that whole. No, it's funny because like they act like little kids and their parents act like little kids and they're the adults. I think thankfully we're past that phase. Yes, yes, yes. But these guys, uh, these guys are very informed by like 1980s, like macho ideas. I like where they talk about um, uh, flies and vampires go together like guns and bullets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, everything everything they say is like hyper macho, and then I love that they actually don't aren't able to kill anybody at all. No, I mean the, they, they have they, to be saved by the dog. Wait, they kill Marco though, right? They kill Marco. They start with the little one. Yeah, I know. When he yeah, you're says like, that you're like, don't do that. <laughs> What's wrong, you guys? Are right? Look at Marco. Marco is clearly not the boss. Yeah, yeah. Weapons check. These yeah. are. This is not a mob. This is not a mob film where the littlest guy is the scariest. Like, go with yes. the biggest guy. I, I do like that they um, uh, apologies, apologies to my mother. I do like that we see two different forms of teenage dick measuring happening here where like Mike like go, goes to the boardwalk with his bike and the girl and who's the what bike is the girl going to ride on? She's going to ride on my bike. You know, that and Dwayne's thing. like, I have the child. So obviously yeah. I'm the yeah. best. <laughs> I'm on the flight logs. No, um. But but in this one, right? So so so. But then we also get to see Sam's, which is like going and like schooling some dudes on like comic book lore, which is total rubbish. But whatever, you know. But <laughs> I have the rarest comic book in the world. Also, the way your comic books are arranged is garbage. It's pretty yep. serious. But but anyway, it's just funny. You kind of see like uh, I, I feel like it speaks to both different the difference of the characters, but also like sort of a different age, right? Like. It, it feels like these guys are not these guys, these guys are just comic books, not girls, and also in murdering vampires. Um, I think they're very casual about how Sam has to kill Mike. Like they're reminding him of this, like it's his water bill or something. Like they're like, you're gonna have to kill him. They're not. They don't seem to have tremendous urgency. They're not like, you know, 
holy cow, your brother's a vampire. We have to kill him now. They're just kind of like, look, man, the only thing for you to do is kill him or else he's going to like kill you and kill your mom and kill everybody. I do like, though, that they say it. And then, like, basically, um, basically, uh, Sam's like, no, that's not what we're going to do. And then they're like, OK. Yeah. But I'm just, they, they seem Fair real. Enough. They're, they're real casual. <laughs> yeah, they stay. They stay casual. I actually really like how generous they are about the whole thing but also like silly they're like they're they're a great mixture where if they were if they were competent at killing vampires you would be a little bit afraid i think that that was a wise decision to make them ultimately uh, oh, yeah, not as yeah. tough as they seem oh yeah of course of course and like they've killed like th- these are the first vampires they've ever actually killed for sure i mean you know they for all their like training and you know these guys are like going to bed and like doing shoulder rolls and like reading Soldier of Fortune or whatever the Soldier of Fortune magazine for children who want to murder vampires is. Um, apparently, supposedly, um, Corey Feldman has said that uh, he was instructed to watch a bunch of like um, Chuck Norris and, uh, you know, like 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 sort of 80s action movies to sort of get get the sort of cadence. And like he, he wears he wears a Rambo style headband. <laughs> That makes sense. I also yeah, like that yeah. uh, Joel Schumacher was like, watch Chuck Norris. That's appropriate for children. Yeah. Like, he wasn't like, watch actual action movies. He's just like, no, I, watch, yeah, watch, like, no, I'm sure. Like, Chuck Norris was just on regular television. Like, that was okay for, like, that seems relatively safe. <laughs> just you'll rent a bunch happy, of canon films, you guys. <laughs> you'll be happy to know, because, like, of course, both uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman um, have experienced horrible abuse in their life. Um, sure. On film sets, yada, yada, yada. As far as we know, based on their accounts, their personal accounts and accounts of other uh, young actors on this show uh, who participated in this movie, that absolutely did not happen on the right. set. That's correct. And uh, Corey Hain, uh, when till till his death, said that this was his this was the best time of his life was making this film. And apparently they the younger actors didn't get to like party with the older actors. And that's part of how the Corys supposedly bonded. And they would like go to there was apparently an arcade close by that they would go to. And um, yeah, so maybe this was this was a good time for them. So what I'm saying is you can have um, 20,000 sexual rendezvous, but not have to be a creep to children. Congratulations. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just looking at I'm just looking at some some Frog Brothers quotes. Um, okay, where's Nosferatu? Who? The Prince of Darkness, the Nightcrawler, the Bloodsucker, El Vampiro, Mike. They're here. <laughs> the Frog Brothers get to say so many different. There's so many different ways to like talk about vampires. It's sort of like that scene in Teen Witch where that um, that young white rapper. Uh, just like riffs about a bunch of different. Um, oh yeah, words for words for penises. Yes. Yeah. yeah, except with vampires, which is which is cooler. <laughs> we blew it, man. We lost it. Shut up. We unraveled in the face of the enemy. It's not our fault. They pulled a mind scramble on us. They opened their eyes and talked. <laughs> I do also like when. So at the end when. Uh, <laughs> when like grandpa's house the grandpa's like weird uh taxidermy log cabin is like totally yeah, it's trash. completely destroyed <laughs> yeah. completely destroyed and like everyone is hugging and it's sort of like this like sweet moment um and everyone's saved and the frog brothers are like also looking around and happy and they're like how much are we gonna charge them for this <laughs> like for the service that they yeah. provided yep yeah 
I love it when um, uh, Alan uh, is filling up his canteen in the church and the priest kind of looks at him and he just kind of gives him like like a power fist, like right on. <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene, too. Yep. All right. You want to talk about uh, the vampires? You want to you want to you want to play probably our favorite scene? Yes. Our favorite scene. It's also everyone else's favorite scene because it slaps. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, first. You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael, how could a billion Chinese people be wrong? <laughs> Come on. How are those maggots? Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Leave them alone. Well, that one never gets old. Stone Cold classic. What's there to say? Well, I think that a lot of people kind of mock it and they're like, oh, these vampires, the creepiest thing they can do is, uh, uh, is like, you know, prank this guy. (laughs) But I think that it further sells the idea that these, these vampires are just children. Like they're kids. And it's more of the gang hazing stuff too, right? Like they're not, right? I mean, if they want, like, that's the whole thing. Like we, we, the audience know that they could kill Michael at any moment and, I think Michael kind of knows it too, but he does. I don't think he th- knows that they're supernatural yet. But like you know, he, it's kind of the like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll put up with your I'll put up with your crap because uh, I know that you could just stomp me into the ground. Uh, you know, let's let let's see where let's see where this goes. He also just wants to hang out. I mean, he yeah. does. Well, I mean, like, he, obviously, he wants, obviously he wants he wants star. to hang out with Star. But <laughs> I think that he I think that he also like is impressed by them and wants to be liked by these the glam rock yep. orphans. Yep. So um, I did. I remembered that I had a note when you were talking about like Lost Boys versus uh, versus uh, pirates, and I couldn't yeah. remember what it, I couldn't remember yeah. where it is. It's here. Basically, I was like, I think it's. I mean, obviously. Obviously, they're dressed like glam rockers, but they also kind of have a lot of pirate energy. And yeah, I was wondering no, 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 if it's, no. and yes, I wonder if it's like Lost Boys who are aping aping pirates who are like these older predatory men. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So it's like a middle space there, sort of. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the jewel? The, what we call the jeweled pirate bottle? Oh man, I I think it's great. It it, it it's weird. <laughs> it's great because it's weird. Um. It looks like a, it really looks like kind of a bad prop. Um, I think it's supposed to look old and kind of there's a lot of I, I. it's not politically correct, but it feels weird to say traveler here like traveler fortune teller. But I think Star has some kind of gypsy fortune teller sort of looking energy. I don't mean that applying to the actual group of people, but rather the way it would be like put on a insensitive Halloween costume. And I think this mm-hmm. is sort of part of that too, where it has like trappings of the occult, but like kind of a kind of a low it, it rent has, version. Like, it has yeah, yeah, yeah. It has like uh like Halloween costume mysticism about it. Yeah, right. Like if she was gonna dress up if she was gonna dress up like a like a moon goddess, that's what she would also wear. Right, right, right. And so I so I think and Star one hundred percent has owns a pack a deck of moon cards. Yes. Like one hundred percent. Yeah, she'll she'll tell you your fortune if you cross her palm with some silver <laughs> she can read your she will claim that she can read your auras yeah but um but no i think it's great because it's kind of because it's kind of campy but it also kind of looks like exactly the sort of thing that if you were like okay to be in our gang you gotta drink this blood out of this bottle that we have 
spooky wine you know, out it's, of it's, this jeweled bottle. It's you know, our it's, most it's important like, bottle. Right, it's like, get the bottle. Show them the bottle. Oh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> this is a serious book. This is a serious bottle. It's a pretty serious bottle you got there. <laughs> so David says Michael a lot. This, 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 there's, there's a super cut on YouTube you can watch. He says it like 114 or something times in the movie. Um, or people say Michael's name a lot. Um, but I think the way David says it is very kind of like um, very Manson-esque, very how to win friends and influence people like I'm going to keep saying your name to remind you that you were important, but also to kind of put you under my cultish Svengali like powers. Yeah, no, it's totally uh, it's totally like a like a, a weird. Um, my boss recently attended a, a seminar for sociopaths move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they just like keep saying your name to be like you're important. Like, yeah, like you're important, but also I'm more important. Right. Right. By saying your name, I, I possess own you because I can say your name. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the scene where Sam finds out that Michael is a vampire. It's yeah. it's maybe my favorite. I mean, like I love this whole movie, like stem to stern, uh-huh. uh, nose to tail. But this scene is so good, and it it only gets better. I feel like I feel like when I was a kid, it actually sort of scared me, and I was like, oh, so relieved when it would be over every time. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, I really love it. I love Sam's like weird radical acceptance of his brother. How about- I love. I love how Nanook protects Sam. I love that Sam is like wearing a wild bathrobe and also like s- singing in the bathtub. Yeah, and I no. love I love that Sam and Michael cover for each other for that from their mom in this <laughs> scene for kind of no reason. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, they have they have a great they have a great very honest, true sibling dynamic kind of feeling. Um, uh, I like when he says, "Don't kill me, Mike. I'm basically a good kid." I also I also found the quote where he says, look at your reflection in the mirror. You're a creature of the night, Michael, just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael, my own brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. You wait till (laughs) mom finds out, buddy. (laughs) So good. I also love that this happens twice in the movie and one is and one is after they've totally destroyed grandpa's cabin and the mom comes home where Sam like always approaches his mother in moments like this and is like we need to have a long we need to have a serious, long yes, yes yes long serious conversation like aping being an adult it reminds me of it reminds me of your four-year-old daughter's like adult person voice yeah yeah but, <laughs> yes with lots of unnecessary laughing yeah no, yeah just for like sure. overly mannered yeah no 100% so and, and I think so I think that the the bath scene, people are always talking about like, oh, it's campy. Look at this bath scene. I think the bath scene is not. I don't feel like Corey Haynes is being exploited in the bath scene. But I think the the bath scene is very pointedly putting the character of Sam in sort of the like female character in a slasher movie sort of territory because it's definitely we, making him like multi like incredibly i think he's supposed to seem young like it's supposed to you know like right, no, yes, he's right. at that age where he's like still kind of a kid but still not a kid like it'd no be longer, like it's, it's the equivalent of if he like still played with action figures oh yeah no but, but, but i think it's intentionally though pointing towards the way that that scream queens may get used in horror movies where like he is vulnerable and in a the most, you know, the most vulnerable, like literally nude in a tub of water. And then Michael is Mike, Michael is coming not to like do bad sexual things to him, but to eat him or to bite him because he is a slave to the bloodthirst sort of thing. And the most monstrous thing he could do is not like hurt some random person, but instead hurt his brother, who is the most important, most loved person in his, you know, that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Which then, like, so does so you know, is Sam kind of like the scream queen of this movie? Is he the final girl? I think he is. Yeah, you know, or, or at least he gets to do some final girl kind of stuff. Yeah, which is which is cool. It'd be really cool if he was actually literally a girl. If so, this would definitely pass the Bechtel test. Like, oh yeah, hundred no percent. Yes, yes, yes. No problem whatsoever. Um, so, do you think you're Sam? Am I Mike and you're Sam? I don't know. I I don't I don't think that I don't think that either of us really is either of them. But I I the uh, the little sibling in me bows to the little sibling in Sam. Namaste. <laughs> I also like the final battle. It's just like it's so boss. The tub scene is amazing. Every the the death scenes are so effective in this that it feels like there are a bunch of them when there really aren't. Yeah. Like. The tub death scene, they really make a meal out of them. The tub death scene is, of course, amazing, where just, like, all of the all of the plumbing just explodes with vampire blood. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, death by, like, Sam muttering the immortal lines, death by stereo is so good. Mm-hmm. It's very gory, but it's also very stylish and, like, and, and a little bit stylistic. So it's not too scary. Yeah. Um, I think that the scariest scene actually happens when um, Sam is trying to untie Nanook and then Michael has to come out and help him mm-hmm. while the vampires fly in. Oh, yeah. That is that's a very frightening scene. I I think for me, I when Laddie like vamps out always was very scary to me. I don't know why. Yeah. When the bed suddenly becomes like a, bl- a reverse blender. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's. It's it's scary because he's like a little he's like a little gremlin monster thing, and then basically and it's and then Star basically has to be like the owner of like a mean dog and be like no he doesn't know I just got him from the pound we're making him okay yeah 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 no <laughs> it is um it is interesting that we 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 love the idea I feel like pop culture we love the idea of child vampires because it's like very it's like if 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 a, if if being an uh a dead person who lives forever and drinks blood isn't like weird and twisted enough. The only thing worse is if it was a little kid. Oh yeah. Totally, totally awful. I'm glad that I'm glad that Laddie a survives and B just gets to go back to being a little kid. Yeah. It's also kind of weird how okay with, I mean, so like star and Laddie are both also just sort of half vamps. So like, uh, I think they must be relatively new. Yeah, David. David seems pretty okay with just kind of having people around who haven't fully like bought into the deal. I mean, maybe Star has only lived with them for like a couple weeks. I I so so we we get the Hounds of Hell uh, part. We we don't have lips or anything, but right the Hounds of Hell that protect the vampires while they sleep, and so Max mm-hmm. has Thorn the dog. Which is also a great fake out because Thorn kind of mirrors Nanook and you're just like, yeah, these people just have dogs. It's not a big deal. You know, um, but the half vampires, it would seem, can like go out into the sunlight and not get hurt. So mm-hmm. is so is Star or Star and Laddie sort of the hounds for the are they for David's crew? Yeah, are they? If so, the, they're not. They're not very good when well, they break into their when they break into the crypt. Like stars, basically, like fifteen more minutes, mom. Yeah, like you're she's right, like you're right. really out of it for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, but I'm just kind of you know maybe, maybe maybe it is useful for them to kind of keep a couple uh, half vampires around to kind of uh, be around in the sunlight. Also, if you broke in there and you saw a uh, you know a um, 
an occultist woman and and a little boy, you probably wouldn't also be like, I bet there are four grown men sleeping in the rafters. Totes. I do like um, I do like the frog boys, uh, the frog brothers um, uh, presage what happens in this final scene where they say um, when a vampire bites it, it's never a pretty sight. No two bloodsuckers go the same way. Some yell and scream, Marco. Some go quietly, um, which I don't really know. Some explode, some implode, but all will try to take you with them. And I think it, it this sort of works. I mean, I guess how much yelling is there in the bathtub scene? I just remember all the plumbing exploding. I think that the well, he it's just sort of melts weird because yeah, I I read that too. I kind of feel like it's. Like the imploding and exploding is actually should be reversed. The guy who gets killed by the stereo explodes. Right. Right. Like his like you, his ha- like you see his hand fly across the room. Right. And then the guy who gets like yeah, gets he sort like of ter- me- melts and he melts and like sort of implodes. So I think that those should be inversed. But yeah, yeah. That's a small quibble. I, yeah. It's obviously supposed to be that he is prophetic. In right, some right. way, or, I just or that, think- yeah, they're just sort of pointing out like the different. But but it also was cool, right? That's that's a great, as you point out, it's great because each death is different, and so it feels like you get a lot of bang for your buck. If they all right. if they all died the same way, you'd be like, oh, this is samey. I get it. I also like that they when they die, it's actually destructive. I've recently, um, I recently rethought about how like Buffy, uh, mm-hmm. which is is a piece of vampire media that I've consumed multiple like i've, I've watched too all much too much yeah, Buffy. more than once for sure and many episodes you know like h- handfuls of times uh-huh. um and i definitely was a big fan and 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 still probably am in some ways but uh i the the dusting of the vampires i understand like no muss no fuss easy cleanup probably pretty cheap to do uh-huh. but but it actually sort of minimizes their death. I like that these vampires aren't like don't just go quietly into the night, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I like that they try to take you with them. And I like I especially like that at the end and um I've heard that this was kind of left open to so that maybe David isn't dead. But oh, yeah. I like that he is left as like a body to mourn. I think that that makes that that scene feel um feel oddly heavy. And you're, and also leaves tension because it's not complete yet. You know there must be more, and then there is. Mm-hmm. So it's a wise decision. Yeah, I this, this 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 movie does the thing that I actually hate that they do in movies, which is that people who get turned into vampires get better and don't have to be vampires anymore. I hate that. I know, but for this movie, you have to you have to have that be so. Do you want Laddie to be a vampire forever? Yeah. I mean. I mean, he barely talks. It's fine. He could be a little Civil War drummer boy forever. No, I like I, I don't mind. I agree that sometimes I that, like when I see that, I think it's a cop out yeah, in this story. I absolutely don't mind that none of the main characters die. And also everyone gets a happy ending. I yeah, don't care. Yeah, 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 it's fine. It's great. It's great. And also still kind of it's still, I think, maintains its horror bona fides, too, where it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a cop out or something that it it's not candy land with a babysitter no like there are risks in this movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) what are you laughing about that's such an awesome thing that's awesome yeah i think i think this i think this i think this movie is affecting the way you talk (laughs) um 
But uh, but here's my here's my suggestion to all you uh, presumably heterosexual white men in the world: don't be Grandpa, don't be Max. Yeah. If if you see if you see that there is weirdness in the world, pinpoint exactly what the threat is and be ready for it. And don't lecture your family members about the dangers of the world. Let them make their own choices and just be ready to actually act if uh, things start going south. And <laughs> just you be ready accept- to crash into your own house <laughs> with a load of spikes. With the- yeah. Actually, the, do you remember? Do you remember when um, uh, when he is setting the uh, the the um, uh, fence posts in the ground, and you see him put one in upside down, so the sharp end is pointing up, and you're just like. Oh, Grandpa. <laughs> Grandpa, you're a buffoon. Yeah, nope, totally on purpose. <laughs> you're the kind of guy who thinks that reading the TV guide and watching the TV are the same. <laughs> but, you know, I think that uh, I think that you could you could ascribe great power to the idea that Max, a patri- uh, a wannabe patriarch, is <laughs> is killed by an actual patriarch who is Grandpa. But I think that they go out of their way to make him not a dominating male in that way. He's yeah. just he just accepts the the weirdos, but he just he can't he can't handle the the blood sucking status quo. Like that's not what he wants to be. Although although probably you know Grandpa's probably gross. He's probably like a like a weird weird libertarian, right? Because all he cares about is like don't touch his root beer, don't touch his double stuffed Oreos. Everything else is fine. What are you talking about? Grandpa 100% votes in every election with a write-in for Willie Nelson. That yeah, is prob- what Grandpa yeah, probably, does. Probably, probably. Already rate the sucker? Yeah, yeah. This Get blood it? sucker. This this shit-sucking vampire. And you want to be like, Sam, Sam, Sam. Do you know how much? You, you were reading that comic. You got creeped and had to go sleep with your mama while wearing a garlic. Can we just, sorry, before we read this, can we just talk about how many times they bring up garlic, which apparently does not work? I like it when Corey Feldman tells Corey Hain that he needs to get a garlic T-shirt, buddy. What what even is that? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure that he could draw a diagram for you. You can tell. It is like Scout Wilderness uh, notebook. You can tell when they were uh, making this uh, movie, they were like, what's funnier than garlic? And they were like, nothing. Nothing is funnier than garlic. I do like that at the end, it does not work. Yeah. Garlic doesn't work. Little, I feel like he calls him little man or little dude. <laughs> Probably because the vampires in this movie are so awesome. Yeah, when they're not, when they're not looking like roadies for White Snake. Yeah, as if there was any doubt, this would be surprising. I give it one out of no. I give it five out of five jeweled pirate bottles full of spooky vampire wine. That's Stone Cold Classic. Fun. Everyone should watch it. It's a great movie. Uh, I also gave it five out of five, but I chose um, Chinese take a, takeout boxes full of pranks. Ah. <laughs> All right. So next time uh, we'll be staying on the theme of brothers, but returning to our regularly scheduled uh, Tales from the Crypt programming with the episode uh, My Brother's Keeper. Yep. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to Crypt Creepers. Um, once again, if you are listening, you have probably already checked us out, but uh, feel free to tell all of your friends to subscribe, rate, listen, review, help us out with the algorithm. Uh, be sure to visit us at outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt creepers to see the show notes and find out other excellent podcasts. You can also find out how to email us in the show description or the uh, through outrageousmechanisms.com. Um, until next time, kitties. 
I'm very glad we got to enjoy mm. this gravestone cold classic. Thrills and chills, and with a strong message for the kids, blood is thicker than holy water. <laughs> <laughs> Just...